Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, as we're going through the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at the first four verses, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. The theme of our message tonight is Jesus greater than drifting. And as we've seen in the book of Hebrews, is that Christ is greater than He's greater than the angels, that Jesus is the express image of the Father. He is the communication of the the Father's love. So tonight is one of those warnings in the book of Hebrews. There's five warnings, and there's a warning about drifting. Now that you're really comfortable, would you stand with me? And we're going to read these four verses together. So I'm going to read odd, which that means verse 1 and verse 3. And then you're going to read with me verse 2 and verse 4 aloud if you have the New King James Version. If you don't have the New King James Version, if you would please listen along. So when I get to verse 2, if you would be so kind as to read with me, this is verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast... And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Let's pray together. Father, we know our hearts. We know our humanity, our flesh, sometimes just our out-and-out rebellion, we drift. And we have a tendency to drift from you. And we pray tonight that there would be transformation, that we would find ourselves not in legalism, but anchored to you, anchored to your grace and our salvation in Jesus Christ. So would you bless this time in your word, through your grace, through the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus. You can have a seat. Greater than drifting. I read this article that came from September. Two snorkelers in Florida. Allow me to read it to you. The title is Two Snorkelers Drift. So two snorkelers were rescued in the waters off of Hallover Beach, Florida, after they drifted too far from their boat Friday. Officials said both men jumped into the water for some snorkeling over Hallover Inlet, and drifted from their watercraft, which they had forgotten to anchor. (laughs) They said at the time they decided to jump into the water. It was clear and a beautiful day, but when they surfaced, their boat had drifted. The men got separated and tried to drift in. So could you imagine you're enjoying snorkeling? It's hard for us to imagine because we live in Colorado, but we're, we're imagining that we're at the beach and we're snorkeling and then all of a sudden we pop up and here's our boat's gone. It's, it's drifted and these men now try to swim in shore. It was a long time. We must have drifted out there, I don't know, over an hour. A person on shore noticed one of them in distress and called police. Rescue boats found them and pulled them on board. Officials advised the snorkelers to take turns for one person to remain on the boat at all times. That way someone is always out of the water in case of an emergency. What did they neglect to do? They neglect the anchor. 
That's what they neglected to do. Because of that, they started to drift. And how many times in our lives with the Lord do we neglect the anchor? The anchor provides protection for us. The anchor grounds us. The anchor keeps us from drifting. But if we're not anchored, we will drift. Let me suggest to you tonight that drifting is far more dangerous than departing. Because departing is willful rebellion. Departing is, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with the Lord. I'm tired of this. Give me, give me, give me. Give me what I deserve, and I'm going, just like the prodigal son. That's not how most people distance themselves from the Lord. Most people distance themselves from the Lord through a process of time of slow drifting, and then one day they wake up and they go, how did I get here? I used to be in love with the Lord. I used to not be able to wait for Saturday night service. I set that time aside to worship the Lord. I remember being in awe of his grace and awe of his kindness and being thankful. Oh, I, I was not perfect, but I love the Lord. I was following the Lord, but now I've drifted. I can't remember the last time that I was in fellowship. I can't remember the last time I cracked my Bible. I can't remember the last time I lifted my voice to God. I can't even remember the last time that I weeped over conviction of what God was doing in my life. How did I end up here? And tonight there's this warning that comes to us about drifting. It's the natural course of things. If you get in any body of water, you're going to drift. If you're on a river, you're going to drift. If you don't have a, a motor, if you don't have some mechanism to go against the natural direction of the water, you're going to drift. If you swim out in the ocean, you're going to drift. I grew up in southern Oregon. It was about an hour and a half from the Pacific Ocean. Cold water, but as a kid, it didn't bother me, and I would swim, be out swimming in the ocean, and I would think that, oh, I'm right here to the shore. I'm right here to the beach, and I was enjoying myself so much, I'd look up, and now I'm 50 yards down the shore because I just naturally drifted. I didn't even realize it. I didn't even know that it happened. What happens in relationships? What happens in friendships? Without intentional work and effort, friendships will drift. How many friends that do we have that are part of our lives and there's no big offense, but life's just taken us in two different directions. We just don't see each other that much. So there's a natural drifting that takes place. Marriages will drift. That is the natural course and direction of marriages is that eventually a marriage will become roommates. Become separate, two separate lives under the same roof unless what? There's intentional work. That's the only way that marriages continue to move to each other. It's no different with the Lord. We will drift. That's the direction that we're headed if we're left to ourselves, if we're not anchored. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not going to be a message of work harder, do better. And I know it sounds like that. You, you feel like, okay, here it comes. I'm getting a spanking for Thanksgiving. That's not the anchor. We're going to find that when we drift, we're drifting from the grace of God. We're drifting from the mercy of God. Once we lose sight of the supremacy of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the gospel, receiving the gospel afresh in our lives, our souls will start to drift. So this isn't try harder, do better. 
This is focus on salvation. This is focus on who Jesus is and anchor yourself to that grace that he gives to us. As we study these verses, there's going to be five focus words in the text. Five focus words for us to to meditate on. Let's begin in verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. Anytime we see that word, therefore, it connects us. It connects us to the prior paragraph, the prior chapter. So we reflect on chapter 1, and chapter 1 showed us the supremacy of Christ. How Christ is the express image of the Father. He is the only begotten. He's so much greater than the angels. So in light of who Jesus is, in light of him being greater than the angels, therefore this is how we are to respond. And this is going to be the mode of teaching throughout Hebrews, is the author of Hebrews is going to show us who Jesus is. Show us who Jesus is and say, now respond. Now connect with Jesus. Now apply what you've just learned about Jesus. So in light of who Jesus is and that Jesus is greater than the angels, the angels have one more lesson to teach us in these four verses. This is what we must do. We must give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. How oftentimes in communicating with someone else do you say, you must do this? This is a non-negotiable. This is of absolute priority. A lot of times things are pretty negotiable. This may be a good idea for you. Your life's going to be easier if you do this. But if we get to that place where we're emphatic, we might use a word like must. And so this is what we're called to do. This is a strong calling. It says we must give the more earnest heed. So if you're taking notes, here's our first focus word, and it's attention. Attention. To pay attention. This could read this way. All the more careful attention. Pay attention to the things that you have already heard. Have you ever had this experience? You get a call. Hey, do you mind picking me up a few things at the grocery store? Sure. I would love to. No problem. What are the things? Four or five things get rattled off. And while that list is being rattled off, your mind is somewhere else. It's in football land. It's in work land. Sometimes when that phone call comes to me, I'm also trying to read and respond to an email while listening to the list. Don't tell my wife. Oh, she's here. She's here. Hey, babe. (laughs) And so I, I am giving the response eagerly, and I have good intention, but I am not giving careful attention to what I've just heard. So I get to the grocery store, And what a blessing. There's one right here, Walmart now, the grocery-only Walmart, and King Super's across the street. And so I can just go right over there, and then I get in the store. I'm like, okay, milk, that was one thing. Oh, good thing we have cell phones. I've got a call. All right, what was that list again? Okay, here's, here's the three or four things. Ever been there? All right, I'm the only one? Okay, what happens here? You can't remember. Now, have you ever had this experience? Come to church, enjoy the worship, enjoy the teaching. On the way home, a friend, your spouse, your kids. Hey, what did you think of church tonight? Oh, it was great. What did you get out of the message? Um, it was a good one, though. It was good. 
really enjoyed that. Or, or maybe it goes on for a few more days, and it's Friday. It's Friday night. You're thinking, well, what did we study in, in church? Are we in Judges, or are we in Hebrews, or... I, I, can't, I can't remember, you know. It's really bad if you were the one who gave the message. You know. <laughs> what did we study last week? I'm pretty convinced uh, that at these doors right here, there's giant erasers. And we can't see them, but it happens to, to all of us. It goes whoop, whoop, and all of a sudden we're like, what in the world did we just learn? It happens to me a lot of times when I'm doing my devotions. I have a good devotional time, and then I'll try to jog my memory when I'm going to bed, and I'm like, what did I read this morning? And it's 50-50 at best. It's like, I know I read something really good. Let me, let me go back and see. So we can begin to identify why it's so important to pay attention, why it's to be a careful listener to the things of God's Word, and listen with the heart that I need to do something with this information. I need to respond to this information. That always helps in listening. So be a careful listener. Being an attentive listener. Come with the heart to apply what we're learning. But it also goes on and says, to the things we have heard. So there's attention, but there's retention. Number two, that's the second focus word, is we want to retain the things that we have heard. Church, it's not always about learning something new. Sometimes we approach the scriptures, we approach a Bible study, and we hunger to learn some new truth. And there is always new truths to be learned, but the more important thing is applying the truths that we already know. To stay grounded in Jesus Christ, to never forget the gospel, to never forget our own depravity and to worship him and be in adoration of the Lord. If I'm transparent in, in my life, it's not so much about learning new things, it's do I, am I applying the truths that I already know? You know, if I were to try to put some percentage on it, it's probably a really small percentage. And if we were to stop and think in, in our own lives, we'd go, yeah, I really need to pay attention to the things that I've already heard to put them into practice. But here's the catch. There's a lot of times that we think if we've heard it, and we've heard it multiple times, that we've got it. I've got it. I've heard it. I know it. I know the acronym for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. I got it. I've heard it. I've shared it. I got it down. But hearing's not enough. Hearing is the first part of it, but it's not the end in of itself. Hearing should take us to God's heart, and then ultimately going to God's heart, then applying those truths inside of our lives. This is a major theme for Jesus. He told us this eight times in the Gospels. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's kind of a weird phrase, isn't it? Of course I have ears. But Jesus said eight times, if you've got ears, make sure you're hearing. Jesus knew a lot of times that he was saying things, but people weren't listening. How many times is God speaking to us, but we're not listening? We open up the word, and he's trying to get a message to us. In our circumstances, he's trying to get a message to us, but we're not listening. If you've got ears, hear. In Revelations 2 and 3, when Jesus wrote to the seven churches, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
The Spirit was speaking to the churches, but was the church listening? So why do we have difficulty hearing spiritually? What is it that impairs our hearing? Here's a few things that come to mind for me. One is this thought. I've heard it before. I've heard it before. It's familiarity. And when we get familiar with something, we stop paying attention. Maybe you go to Garden of the Gods, and the first time you went to Garden of the Gods, you're like, wow, these red rocks. This is amazing. This isn't Garden of the Gods. This is Garden of God. The one true God, he, he made this. And you go the second time, and there's a sense of awe. The fourth time, and the fifth time, oh, this is wonderful. And now you can't remember the last time that you went there, and you had some family come into town, and you had to take them to the Garden of the Gods. <laughs> and underneath your breath, you're like, the stinking tourists, man. <sighs> All those flatlanders, they drive from the Midwest just to see the Garden of the Gods get over it already, right? Every time I come, there's just more pavement. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. What happened? We got familiar with it. Sometimes someone moves to Colorado Springs, and they're at your job. They live on your street in your apartment complex. Have you seen these mountains? I got up today, and I drove to work, and there was snow on the peak. <laughs> and we're like... It's so cold. Could you be quiet? You know? I'm over it. <laughs> What's happened? We just got familiar with it. Sometimes I'll be driving and I'll see the mountains and it'll just hit me again and it'll be fresh. And I think sometimes that's why we just kind of turn off our listening. Oh, I've heard the book of Romans before. I know the parable of the sower. I know the book of Hebrews. I've read my Bible. I've taught this before. I know it. I know what the pastor's going to say before he said it. Oh, not that joke again. I've heard you tell that joke so many times. You know those pastors that move churches every three to five years? That's got to be really hard, but at least their jokes are fresh. <laughs> you get familiar, don't you? And you just kind of tune out and, and you stop listening. That's a reason that we tune out. Another is this, is I've got this figured out. This isn't for me. Did anybody just kind of kick their feet up and go, I don't need a warning on drifting. This isn't for me. But this is really good for somebody else. I can't wait to, to pick up the CD at the media window or send them the link to the website or tell them to listen to this, this podcast. I know them. They need this, but, but this isn't for me. I've got this under wraps and we stop listening. What would that be? That would be pride, wouldn't it? And pride keeps us from, from hearing. We're not giving earnest heed to what we've heard. This is probably the one that we're most susceptible to. Is I'm just too busy. I'm just flat out too busy. I've got all these things to do. I've got to work overtime. I've got to get stuff done at home. I've got to get all this holiday stuff done. I don't have time for God's word. When we get busy, what's the first thing that goes? Usually it's our time in God's word. Usually it's our time in worship and hearing God's word get taught. And Jesus told us this is the crowded heart. This is the heart where the word of God went in, but it was choked out by the weeds. There was no room for the word of God. And if there's no room for the word of God, if there's no room for the anchor in my life, 
that there's no room for Jesus in my life if I'm too busy to be connected with him, to spend time with him, to reflect on his grace and his goodness and my need for him, of course I'm going to drift. It's inevitable. That's probably the most common thing why relationships drift. I just don't have time. I don't have time to, to spend with you. I'm, I'm too busy. Another reason that we drift is, is this, is I'm not sure if this is true. Maybe at different times in your life, you really drifted from the Lord because you wrestled with doubt. Maybe right now, you're wrestling with the Lord. In the back of your mind, you're like, can I really trust the character and the nature of God? Are his promises true? Is he going to be faithful to his word? And once that settles in, the drifting's going to take place. I want it my own way. Selfishness. I know that if I listen to God, it's going to mean that I'm going to have to give up something that I'm enjoying right now. Some sinful pleasure that I think is satisfying me, so I'm not going to listen. It's a willful choice not to listen because I don't want to give up my selfishness. Church, let me put it this way to you. God loves you. He's your father and he wants to speak to you. Tonight, he wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you through the word, through worship, through his still small voice. He's speaking. From what I can tell from the scriptures, God has never stopped communicating. He's given us more than enough in his word. He's given us more than enough in his son Jesus. The question is, am I listening? And sometimes we have to slow down the velocity of our lives, how fast our life is going to hear his voice. Be still and know that I'm God. That's one of the hardest commands in the Bible, isn't it? Stop and listen. Stop and listen. And we make this a part of our lives to hear his voice in his word, to hear his still small voice so that we don't drift. So the first was attention. The second is retention. We want to retain to apply. Here's the last part of this verse. Lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. Now there's an obvious warning here, but there's also protection. And that's the third focus word. That's the third word to write down. It's protection. Lest you drift away. The anchor provides protection. I was reading an article about the river that goes into Niagara Falls, and apparently this river has these signs that say, do you have an anchor? Do you know how to use it? Because <laughs> you're headed towards Niagara Falls. So that anchor provides protection. And this is a warning, but it's also on the flip side, it's protection. A no trespassing sign is a warning, but it's also protection. It's saying, if, if you heed this and you don't trespass, I have no problem with you. But if you don't heed this warning and you come onto this property, you do have a problem. And that's what God's saying here. He's saying, I'm enough. My salvation's enough. My grace is enough. Who I am is enough. Stay connected to me and I'll protect you. I will be your anchor. You don't have to hold yourself from drifting. You don't have to keep yourself in that sense all you do is abide in Christ. All you do is stay connected to Christ and he'll protect you. God's just saying, listen, listen and obey and I'll protect you. I will be there to keep you from drifting. That's good news. It's good news for us to know that there is also protection in this anchor. But there's also caution 
And this is the fourth thing. This is our fourth focus word this evening. It's caution. And this is an impassioned plea in which God gives to us lest we drift away. What would this look like for the church that's receiving this letter for the first time? It may surprise you. Drifting for this church would mean going back to the old covenant, going back to the law, going back to the sacrificial system, and not putting their trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, falling into their traditions instead of holding fast to their salvation. It's not that they would become immoral and just start doing all these crazy things. And a lot of times what we think about in terms of drifting away from the Lord. They're drifting into this mindset of saying, I don't need God's grace. I don't need his forgiveness. I don't need the blood of Jesus Christ. I can do this through rules. How many times do we do that? We no longer elevate Christ and what he's done, but we elevate a system of rules and we impose it on ourselves and we impose it upon others. Our flesh is always going to gravitate towards the law. That's what drifting looked like We can take good, godly things and put them above Jesus Christ. Are you in love with morality more than you are Jesus Christ? Are you in love with with rules? Are you in love with service? I mean, fill in the blank. That's what's going on for this particular church. This exhortation to not drift and depart from God is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews. I want you to flip to a couple other verses with me in the book of Hebrews And this is Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. It's another warning that we'll get to in a few weeks. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, it says this. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin don't drift, don't depart, lest there be any of us that have this heart of unbelief where sin deceives us and hardens our heart and we depart from the living God. So exhort each other daily, challenge each other daily, be in a place where we're receiving exhortation, be in a place where we're giving exhortation because drifting is real, because departing is real and we need this. Now turn to chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. It's a strong encouragement. It's an exhortation that's given to us. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to what he's done. Don't go back to the old covenant. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some, but exhorting one another, there it is again, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you believe that we're closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than we've ever been before? That should be an absolute yes, just by the pure logic that we are the most current generation. (laughs) We are closer to the coming of Jesus Christ than we've ever been. So as we look at the signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ, we should surround ourselves with believers all the more. 
and say, you know what? I want to go deeper in friendship. And would you challenge me? Because I know that I need it. And the enemy loves to get in there to want us to give up on relationship with other believers. Satan will come and show you the faults of this church. He'll come and he'll show you the faults of your brother and sister of Christ. And then you get hurt and bitterness sets in and unforgiveness sets in and then isolation sets in and all of a sudden this contributes to the drifting. This contributes to the departing because now I don't have anybody to speak into my life. I can't see my blind spots. I'm deceived by my sin. My heart has gotten hearted. We need one another. We need to be in friendship and fellowship with one another. We need to be having believers into our home, taking time for each other, challenge each other in in those ways. Here's the heart of this. Here's the caution. Here's the warning for us. We looked at the protection, but here is the caution. Here's the warning. Is each of us are more than capable from drifting from the Lord. I have the capacity. You have the capacity. If we look at our life and journey with the Lord over a whole, there's seasons where we drift, isn't there? There's seasons that I drift. There's seasons that, that you drift. And we see the damage that it brings in our relationship with the Lord. The thing that breaks me the most when I've drifted from the Lord is God's still small voice of, where you been? I want to spend time with you. I love you. I died to be in relationship with you. It's like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm not listening. I'm not listening to your voice to to draw near to you. So are you engaged? Am I engaged? Am I pursuing the Lord? Have I set my anchor? Am I in awe of, of who the Lord is? But it's very real. This warning is for me. This warning is for you. Pay attention to what you've heard. Stay close to Christ. Don't put anything above Christ because this is what will happen. You will drift away. And we don't want to spend our days having drifted from the Lord. So let's go on into verse 2. I think I'll finish this chapter about, or these four verses about 9 (laughs) o'clock. Verse 2. For if... The word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. So this is the lesson from the angels. This is where the author of Hebrews was going all along. He's saying Jesus is greater than the angels. When the angels spoke the word of God and people didn't regard it, they were held accountable. So how much more so with Jesus? Jesus is far greater than the angels. He's the only begotten. He's God's express image. So when he speaks, if we don't respond to it, how much more are we held accountable? So verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So this word escape, how come we would think that we wouldn't receive the consequence if we neglect our salvation? This word neglect is interesting because when we think about neglecting salvation— It's not in terms of like neglecting maintenance on a house or neglecting maintenance on a car. You don't change the oil and eventually you you fry out the, the engine. You can't add anything to salvation. You don't have to maintain salvation. You don't have to change the oil in your salvation. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? 
If you could add anything to salvation, if you could maintain salvation, if you could clean it up, then it wouldn't be by grace. So what does it mean to neglect our salvation? To neglect it is to not appreciate it, to not receive it, to not spend time with it, to think that I don't need it any longer, to to think, well, I can move on to rules, I can move on to the law, I can go back to, to these traditions I'm going to neglect it. I'm not going to pay attention to it. It doesn't have priority. This word neglect means to discard, to not matter, to make light of, to to neglect. So this is our fifth word, and it's the most important. It's salvation. Salvation. The key to not drifting is always being in appreciation of your salvation. And God's so good. A lot of times what I'm going through during the week, it it does lead into what God would have me share in these weekend messages. He doesn't let me off the hook. On this pastoral retreat that we were on, in this book that we were reading, the author kept saying, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. You're always preaching the gospel to other people as a pastor, but preach the gospel to yourself. And he kept saying this over and over in the book. I'm like, I'm not sure if I get this. I'm not sure that I'm wrapping my head around that. What does that mean to preach the gospel to yourself? Because we're always telling ourselves something about ourselves. Or we're always speaking to ourselves. We probably speak to ourselves more than, than anybody else. And sometimes it's thoughts of pride. Sometimes it's thoughts of selfishness. But a lot of times it's thoughts of condemnation, isn't it? You're a loser. Why don't you get your act together? You're miserable, all of these kind of things. But what does the gospel tell us about ourselves? You're loved by God. Jesus died for you. He rose again. His grace is sufficient in your weakness. Tonight we sang Amazing Grace. And there's a past tense element of God's grace in our lives, isn't there? When we came to know Christ as our Savior. But also there's a present tense aspect of God's grace. Where he's not giving us what we deserve. If God gave me what I deserve today in the sin that I've committed, and I'm not out in some kind of gross rebellion, thankfully, by, God, by God's grace, but I'm definitely a sinner, and I sin every day, and you sin every day, and God holds us accountable for the thoughts and intents of our hearts, and if he gave us what we deserved according to that, we would be in a difficult place. But instead, he's given us salvation. Such a great salvation. That's our anchor. That's what keeps us from drifting is that we are in awe of God. And that was the message of this book that we read for this last month is, have you lost the awe of God? Let me tell you this. If you have lost the awe of your salvation, if you have lost the awe of God's grace, you will drift. It's inevitable. It's only the awe of God and the appreciation for him that keeps us anchored, that keeps us close to his heart. I like the way that Kent Hughes put this in his commentary of Hebrews. He said, it is more blameworthy to sin against love than to sin against the law, to ignore God's mercy than to break his law. There is no escape if we ignore such a great salvation. That really hit me. It is more offensive to reject love than it is to reject the law. Police officers don't really get offended when you break their law. A judge doesn't get offended when you break the law. They hold you accountable. 
And we're thankful for that. I truly am thankful for the police officers that hold this city accountable so that there's order. But when you violate love, when you run your own parents under the bus, especially if you have parents that were giving and kind and put a roof over your head, and yeah, they weren't perfect, but they bent over backwards to to serve you, and then you take that love and you run it under the bus, that's offensive. And in a marriage, when you have a spouse that loves and serves, and they're not perfect, but they do love and they do serve, and there's a genuine relationship, and then someone in the marriage decides, I don't love you anymore. I'm done with you. I'm going to move on to something else. That's way more offensive than a speeding ticket, isn't it? Because it involves love. So when we take God's mercy and his grace and say, I don't appreciate it anymore. I don't really need it anymore. Oh, I've been on this ride 50 times. I've been to Garden of the Gods 75 times. I'm familiar with God's grace. Whoop-dee-woo, I get to go to heaven. You know, on to the hard stuff. Give me the deep stuff. Come on, pastor, give me some meat. I need some meat. Church, this is the meat, the grace of God and the love of God. And it is our weakness, it is our sin, it is our struggles, it is our trials, it is everything that life affords us that keeps us anchored in this great salvation. This is what I would hope and pray for all of us, is that the longer that we walk with the Lord, the more that we're in awe of this great gift of salvation. The more that our minds are blown that the Father would give His Son, His only begotten for us. That though we would believe it, that we would believe it all the more that we wouldn't doubt and we wouldn't live in condemnation, but our souls would be anchored to this tremendous gift of God's love. Personally, I don't know, this is just an opinion, but I think that that's what eternity is going to be all about. We're going to be discovering this great salvation and our great Savior, the King Savior, more and more throughout all of eternity. Salvation and God's grace, it is that anchor. Speaking of salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Jesus was the one who spoke the words of salvation, the message of salvation. What are the first words that are recorded of Jesus Christ? What what do we have as his first communication? It's Luke 2, verse 49. Jesus had gone to the temple with his family. His family went home. And guess what? They lost God's son the Son of God. I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. So now they're hustling, running back to the temple, looking around, probably looking for Jesus at the falafel shop because he's 12 years old. It's like he's hungry. He's probably eating some falafels or maybe he's with this friend or that friend and it almost seems like the last place they look is the temple. Probably should have been the first place. And he says, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business. The first words of Christ were proclaiming salvation. What was the Father's business? To send his Son to die for sinners. And Jesus said, this is what I'm all about. At 12 years old, this is what I'm committed to. We know Mary and Joseph didn't understand at this time. As Jesus began his public ministry, Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now, after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, preaching salvation, that God sent his son to die for sinners. 
and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus came preaching the gospel and then he provided the necessary means to fulfill the gospel. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. He came speaking the gospel and the message of salvation and was confirmed by those who heard him. This is referring to those initial 12 disciples. Judas, we know, betrayed Christ. The 11 went on to serve the Lord, and we find the book of Acts. The validity of the message of Jesus Christ crucified in his resurrection was seen in the profound impact that it had upon the disciples. Peter, denying the Lord, struggling throughout the Gospels. Jesus died upon the cross and rose again. Peter continued to struggle But there was a great change that happened in his life through the message of salvation. It was confirmed by those who first heard it. In verse 4, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. The book of Acts, also the Gospels, it includes a plethora of signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's confirming the message of salvation. It's showing the validity of salvation through these supernatural events that took place, the signs and the wonders, the miracles, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But here's the key. It's the end of this verse. It's according to His will. It's not according to our will. We don't get to go to God and say, okay, God, Here's the time to raise somebody from the dead. Here's the time to heal somebody from cancer. Here's the time to have the demons go out of someone. No, God, it's according to your will. And we oftentimes wonder, how come in the mission field, there's so many more signs and wonders? Because people are out there proclaiming the message of salvation. And God's doing signs and wonders to confirm the message of his son, that Jesus died and rose again. And I often wonder if we would see more of the supernatural move of God in our lives if we went out with the message of salvation to those that don't know Christ. Because it's not about me feeling good or me to get the warm fuzzies. It's about God showing his power to people who don't know Christ. It's according to his will. It's his plan. God, what's your will in this particular situation? But God has confirmed the message of salvation. It was preached by Christ, confirmed by the disciples, and confirmed by these supernatural things. As we wrap up, as we've looked at these five key words, would you just kind of set your Bible to the side, set your notepad to the side, and let me give you just two examples of some men in Scripture that drifted. And they're case studies. Maybe picture if I were a good artist and I was drawing a picture, an illustration for you. And the first is this man named Demas. We find him three times, Demas, in the New Testament. And the first time, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He's traveling with Paul, and Paul says, I've got these two traveling companions. Now, do you think that Paul just took anybody? We know he didn't because he wouldn't let Barnabas come on the second missionary journey in the book of Acts because Barnabas had given up on the first missionary journey. Paul took men who were faithful, and Demas was one of those. Later on, we find Paul writing and says, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. 
Paul is beginning to gain trust in Demas, and he says, hey, he's my fellow laborer. He's laboring together with me in the gospel. The last reference to Demas, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. He drifted in the midst of serving right alongside the Apostle Paul. And if you've been around the church long enough, you know this happens. You've served alongside someone. They loved the Lord. They were committed to the Lord. They were surrendered to the Lord. And they got their eyes off of Jesus. Jesus wasn't enough. All of a sudden, something else came in that was a little more important. They didn't even realize it. They didn't even know it. But they departed. Some of us have been there in our own lives. And God has graciously allowed us to return. It's real. It happened for Demas. The other comes from the Old Testament. A guy named Uzziah. He began being king at a young age. And he remodeled the temple. The temple was in disarray. No one had cared about worship for a long time. And they found the word of God during this remodel. They'd gone to such a dark place spiritually that nobody even had a Bible or could find a Bible. They couldn't find the law, the word of God that had been given to them. They find the word. There's a revival that takes place, just like so many times in our lives. You find the word. You get back into the word. You get the knowledge of God. And there's a revival that takes place. But then he got successful. He had some military victories. He had some resources. He was able to fortify Israel. Got lots of agriculture going. There's a tunnel that he dug in Israel, in Jerusalem, that's still there today that you can crawl through as as you go through. And it tells us that his heart became strong and he departed from God. When he was weak, he stayed close to the Lord. When he was strong, when he had success, he drifted to the point where he went in and he offered a burnt offering that was only to be done by the priests. And God struck him in that moment with leprosy. And he never turned back to the Lord. He died in that place. He drifted. He departed. This man that loved God so much. This man that led a revival that was used by the Lord, but something changed. And you know where it changed? It changed in here. And so for us tonight, a couple of things is one is if you pause and you look at your life and you go, you know what? I've drifted. I'm here Maybe I'm even laboring. I'm serving the Lord. My life is moral from an exterior perspective. But I know I've drifted. Come back tonight. Come back. You don't have to drift any longer. The anchor's still there. It's Jesus. It's your salvation. Run to him in adoration and confession. And God, forgive me. I've lost sight of you. I don't want to drift anymore. And just like our two snorkelers, the rescue's going to come. Jesus is going to come. He can't wait for, for you to return. Maybe you feel like things are going well spiritually. You say, you know what? By God's grace, I'm so enamored 
with who he is. Stay in that place. Stay in that place. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody ever give you a substitute and say, just try this method. All you need are these practical tools and, and you'll succeed. No, you need Jesus. You need his grace. You're still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. And Christ still loves us. He died for us and he rose again. And we're fixing her eyes upon Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would reveal to us the condition and the state of our hearts. That you would allow us to see where we're at with you. If we're drifting, if we're anchored. And if you're in that place tonight where you have drifted, I'm just going to ask that you would cry out to the Lord. Just in your own heart, I'm going to pause for a few moments. When you return to God, you cry out to him. Father, we thank you that you're so kind and gracious and patient and long-suffering for us to return to you when we drift. I pray for those that have responded in their hearts that they would feel your warm embrace. Lord, you running towards them as they run towards you. God, we confess that a lot of times we're not good listeners. We don't have ears to hear. We haven't given it our attention And so, Lord, would you make us better listeners? As a church family, Lord, would you please never allow us to drift from from Jesus? Jesus, you're our anchor. Keep us close to you. Keep us focused upon you. May we never substitute anything for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.